This is Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. All right. Hello and welcome to Dialogue Gospel Study for February 13th, 2022 with Dr. LaShawn Williams. I'm Rebecca Deschweinitz and along with fellow Dialogue board members, Chris Kimball and Michael Austin, we're thrilled to welcome you today um, here as we explore Genesis 12 through 23, Abraham 1 through 2, or whatever part of that or not, uh, Dr. LaShawn decides to take us through. We invite you to check out our previous lessons, which includes another by Dr. Williams back near when we first started this series in the early days of the pandemic. Um, They are all available as podcasts or videos and linked at dialoguejournal.com. There you can also find the entire run, some 56 years of the journal's scholarship and poetry, sermons, fiction, and of course, art. We also invite you to support the work and vision of Dialogue. In the first issue of the journal, founder Eugene England wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. We need dialogue and spaces to explore and develop relationships more than ever. Find out how you can help to create us a fund that secures the future of dialogue at givetodialogue.com. As always, for today's gospel study lesson, if you're with us live here on Zoom, you're welcome to post respectful and relevant comments and questions in the chat. And we'll also follow along on Facebook, uh, taking note of any comments there where we are also live. We are so very glad to have as our teacher today, Dr. LaShawn Williams. Dr. Williams is a lifelong member of the church by way of a Southern African-American part member military family. She is a licensed clinical social worker and owner of Relational Spaces, her private practice located in Orem, Utah, where she helps clients create change in the relationships that matter most. She's a divorced mom to three kiddos and enjoys teaching them to thoroughly engage the nuance of the gospel. This is the voice that I know we need today, and I'm so grateful for Dr. Williams's preparation and willingness to be in this space with us today as we grapple with scripture and with life. I've personally been reflecting on the words of the late Reverend James Cohen this week about the need for new stories, perspectives that help us to actualize the dreams in his words the Zion that communities of faith talk about, but don't always work to create. Still, our usual disclaimer that, as is true with any Latter-day Saint scripture study class, the views expressed today are those of the teacher. They do not necessarily reflect those of the Dialogue Foundation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or of any other organization. Our opening prayer today will be offered by Dr. Kimberly Applewhite-Teeter, who is a licensed clinical psychologist practicing in the Salt Lake City area. She's featured in the latest volume of Why I Stay, Contemporary Challenges of Discipleship, edited by Bob Reese. Kimberly serves as a bishop's wife and assistant director of Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir. She is also a proud mother of two daughters. Decolve Jackson Van uh, will give our closing prayer later today and be with us uh, during this lesson. 
He's a native of Midgeville, Georgia, and is a 1999 graduate with distinction of Georgia Military College Prep School. He holds a BS in Marriage, Family, and Human Development with an emphasis in Family Life Education from BYU and an MS in Marriage and Family Therapy from Valdosta State University. He's a current doctoral student in the Arizona State University College of Health Solutions. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist whose clinical focus includes the reconciliation between sexuality, sexual identity, and religious affiliation and belonging. He is the founder and medical director of Two Brothers Counseling in Orem, Utah, Las Vegas, Nevada, and most recently, Midgeville, Georgia. He serves as music director for the LDS Genesis Group. And um, also, as you check out previous lessons, um, we have Tecolve and Kimberly. Um, we've, we've been blessed to have them as our teachers in the past as well. We begin with music, Rudy Currents performing I Belong Here. It's my turn, right? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for the opportunity we have to gather as thy children. We're grateful that there is a place for all of us in the body of thy son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful for his atoning sacrifice for all of us in the personal ways that he and thou minister unto all of us. Please bless us in our needs and our afflictions that will meet them in thy time. Bless us to be uh, ever waiting on thee. Um, ever in tune with the um, please bless our dear sister LaShawn uh, as she prepares to teach us that thou will fill her with thy spirit and that she may uh, be able to leave a message that thou will have her and that she has prepared help us to uh, go forth from today with uh, willingness in our hearts to do as thou hast commanded us uh, through Sister LaShawn's words, uh, bless those who are in need and who are hurting and who are suffering in this world. Bless those who are in need of thy healing hand. Um, thou will send it to them. And if thou art willing to have us uh, be thy hands, please let us do so and uh, help us to have the willingness to follow that call. We say those things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do I get to go now? Okay, great. Um, I'm trying to make sure I've got all my sounds turned off over here, but if they pop up, I apologize. I'm just trying to find the buttons. Um, thank you, Dr. Kimberly, uh, for that prayer. I have been preparing this lesson for weeks, weeks on weeks. And and it, you said 17 or 12 through 23. I, the book said 12 through 17. I thought about 12 through 23, but then I said, there's not enough time. And I need to like, I need to stay safe here with these conversations that I think we're going to attempt to have. Um, I, I'm not someone that can come in and teach the lesson just as it is in the book. I am someone who brings my Monday to Saturday into my Sunday. And depending on how the Monday, the Tuesday and the Friday and the Saturday go or, or the Sunday night, February 6th, 6 p.m., somewhere in a 20 mile radius of where I'm sitting right now, depending on how that goes, it might find its way into my lesson. And 
what I thought was a traditional lesson exploring the history of how the three major faiths of this world um, came from one family has shifted into a conversation around belonging. And in discussing belonging, I have to discuss separation and I have to discuss leaving. Um, the imperfections of, of folks in the Old Testament always is a favorite thing of mine because it magnifies my own humanity. It allows me the space to be imperfect. It allows me to compare myself and feel a little bit better. Like I didn't do that. And that person still got to be a, a prophet and a teacher and a leader, and they got to go to heaven. So honestly, in comparison, I'm okay. I'm all right. What I have done, what I haven't done is between me and the Lord. Um, and, you know, I read the story. We all read the story of Abram when he leaves his home. And, you know, whenever you read it, because scripture is living and we are dynamic individuals, the way you read it will hit you differently. Um, so within those imperfections and within the realities and, and the humanity of the Old Testament, we begin um, Genesis 12 with a commandment that explicitly creates distance in some of the most painful ways. Verse one, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country. If that wasn't enough and from thy kindred, if that wasn't enough and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now, mind you, we knew exactly, we knew we had some reasons to understand why he might want him to get out of his father's house. His father had turned away from the traditions of worshiping God. But to think to leave my father, my kindred, my family, and my country, and to step out on faith when God says to you, and I will make thee of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, took Lot. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. When I turn 75, I don't want to go anywhere. I especially don't want to leave everything that I've built up for those decades. Like, imagine, right? The things that God asks you to do at the most inopportune times can create feelings of distance. But because of God, through God and through you, he is going to also create belonging. There were a number of things that kind of popped up to me as I focused on Abram's journey because of the effects that it had on the people journeying with him, namely Sarai, Sarah, and Hagar. I thought about the pressures on each of them. One, to choose to leave. We in our own faith understand the power of, of a family choosing to leave what they're accustomed to, to go out and to create something else. Were that not the case, our faith would not have been and become what it was, right? It would not have been something to have been restored to add to this family story in the Old Testament, these family stories, right? But there's this pressure to perform. And I think about how many of us feel pressure to perform. How many of us have a conversion story that matches this commandment that Abram received to leave our countries, our kindred, our families' houses, and come into a land or into a church that he is going to show to us? In Black History Month, I think of all the Black converts, my family, others included, 
uh, the Black LDS family that I have created because of this faith, and how many of us at some point in our family's story were given this commandment that Abram received to leave the churches of our homes, our families, our histories within this country and throughout the diaspora to come to this faith. But to believe that we are contributing to the creation of a great nation of Christians, of disciples of Christ, to know that in our work, we believe that we will be blessed in this work and that we, through our work, can make the name of the Lord great and that we, through our work, can make the work of this church and this gospel a blessing to so many others. I really, really resonated with those first three verses. And I thought of the saints before me who left and who waited. A conversation happened last Sunday at a fireside that tried to make a comparison between why did Black communities have to wait to receive the priesthood? And the actual question should have been, why did Black communities have to wait to receive the priesthood again? That's the question that should have been asked. Because when the comparison was made, well, why did any of us have to wait 1,829 years for the priesthood to be restored? Fantastic question, because the significance is that it was restored in 1829, almost to its fullness, where Black people and Black families were holding the priesthood after 1829, where women were exercising the priesthood in some capacities in 18, after 1829. So the question becomes, why did they have to wait to receive the priesthood again? Totally different answer, totally different conversation. But in waiting and in, in, in surviving distance, how has God used that to create belonging? Those were really significant and, and precious verses for me, particularly this month. So I, I, I just kind of want to, I want to lead in with that. And then I want to walk into the stories of the women impacted by the decisions to leave. And for us to really kind of sit with these women in their stories and their existences and in their, their attempts to perform, their attempts to measure up, and then the belongingness that comes from that, either through them or be because of them. As I read the verses, I thought about the pressure to perform, the pressures to show up, um, to support the things that don't make sense because they've never happened before. We've never seen them happen before. How many wives of prophets have had to say, we have to do what? Because God said he was, huh? God told, can God tell me whatever he told you? Are you sure? Did you listen? Cause I, you know how sometimes when you listen to me, did you listen to God all the way when he said, whatever this thing was, you said the whole family has to do. I thought about women showing up to support what doesn't make sense and has never happened before. And to think about how many times that thing that hasn't happened before involves the birth of a child, involves the creation of a legacy. How many times have we seen women show up and go through these stories where it's like, you said, I'm going to do what? I'm going to have a baby. Who? Me? Now? At, at what age? 90 and what? 99, Heavenly Father, 99. Are, are you sure? Now, I don't know what their lifetime expectancies were back then. Maybe, you know, life expectancy was 200 99 was like where we're at here in our 40s. You know, you can do it. Maybe not exactly recommended, but there's still some time. I don't know. But I thought about Sarai. And I thought about how often she had to show up and perform. I thought about how often she had to make sense out of things that didn't make sense. Oh, I know what it is. I think it's an email that is popping up. Let me X out of some things. And we should be good here. Now I don't have any notifications. Apologies on that. 
All right. So coming back to Sarah, the first time when I noticed what it must have been like for Sarah to have to perform and show up was this notion of trying to clean up Abraham's messes. And what do you mean, LaShawn, Abraham's messes? Yeah. So when they went to Egypt during the famine, Abraham says to Sarah, they're in their 70s, right? He says, listen, we're going to Egypt. Everyone's going to be staring at you because you're gorgeous. They don't know how I got you. However, I, we do. Just tell them you're my sister and not my wife. I don't know how many times he's asked that of Sarah, but she said of Sarai and she says, okay. So she goes along with whatever the storyline is. I don't really think she said anything, but she showed up in order to help him out. And so then it happens a couple of times, at least twice, that he says, tell them you're my sister, not my wife. And at some point in time, someone finds out that this is actually his wife and not his sister. Um, Plagues affect the Pharaoh. And he comes to Abraham, why did you do this to me? Why did you tell me that this was your, your, your sister and not your wife? Mind you, Abram had already been paid handsomely because of Sarai being considered his sister. And so once he got the benefits of being able to exploit their relationship, then they went on their own way. That struck me as interesting. It struck me as interesting. How many times do we have people where we see they can utilize our existence? They utilize a talent or a skill or some sort of um, gift that we have that doesn't, that doesn't directly serve our benefit. What are the ways that we see patriarchy and power in this instance that force us to exploit the existence of another person because of our fear, our legitimate fear in some way, yet it's still to our benefit. The family benefited because of Sarah's Sarai's sacrifice in that moment. I often wondered, as I read through the lesson a couple of times, how do we fail to see the power of privilege when its fruits are from exploitation? And I think any of us can think about times where we're in positions of power, where we can orchestrate something that's going to be beneficial, but it comes at the expense of someone else's humanity. It came at the expense of Sarai's appearance. Because you're beautiful, I need you to do this thing. It's going to benefit us because we're going to get gifts And we're going to be paid so handsomely well because of how you look. Will you perform this way so that we can benefit? How often do we ask women and other people in different oppressed stations to perform for our benefit? Do we facilitate belonging when we do that? Or is it a soured opportunity? It's something for for us to think about, in my personal opinion, that is not representative of dialogue or the church, right? In my opinion, it's something for us to think about. How do we use our power? And are we aware when we're exploiting? And it's not that we never exploit, we never do wrong things, but when we do them, how do we, how do we mend the hurt? How do we make it where it, never, it doesn't ever happen again? You think about what Abram was promised by God. And how the only person that could really fulfill that promise in our understanding was Sarai. What anguish she must have gone through to say, well, you know, it's not for lack of trying, Heavenly Father. It's not for lack of trying, but it's just not happening. How many of our dear sisters do we know in this position with Sarai? And how do we hold space and create belonging for them? 
how do we bring this out and make it this sacred experience for each of us to hold and support? Are we mindful of our words? Are we mindful of the questions that we ask of women and of families who are wanting to contribute and to belong and have to find the creative, divine, sacred ways to do so? I think of the pressure we put on any of us to perform in these capacities. And I wonder if we sit long enough with each other to understand. The only way for the promise that God gave to Abram to happen was through Sarai and the thought process and decision-making moves she must have gone through to make it happen and how she must have felt when our identities are attached to our ability to perform or to produce. What weight that puts on a person. So she gets to a point where she says, my maid can help. We don't know the relationship between Sarai and her maid. We know that Hagar is enslaved in the family, but it's important to pay attention to the language that Sarai uses before Hagar conceives and after. Hagar goes from being my maid and afterward to that bondswoman. There is a rift in their relationship. And as we look at the hopes, and I'm, I'm speculating completely here, putting myself in, in Sarai's shoes and wondering, hoping, hoping that it works because I want to help Abram. I want this promise to be fulfilled, but also hoping that it doesn't. I hope, so, I hope Hagar can't conceive too, so that it's not just me because my identity is now wrapped up in this. And I already feel like I'm failing to perform because because of whatever is happening in my body, I can't produce what's being asked of me that no one asked me if I wanted to do in the first place. <sighs> the weight on these women to perform. So now we shift our gaze to Hagar. And we look at the decision-making capacity of an enslaved woman. In what ways is she able to say, I belong? In what ways is she told you belong, except that it is you belong to produce, you belong to perform. Sarai knows the feeling you belong to produce, you belong to perform, you belong to provide access to materials and to, to wealth and to riches and to benefit, right? To excess. These women being asked to perform and to produce. As an enslaved woman, Hagar's decision-making power is limited. There's a lack thereof. And honestly, what did she have for her if she got pregnant, if she didn't get pregnant? I read the experience of Hagar and I thought, well, she's damned if she does and damned if she doesn't. Because if she gets pregnant, great. But you get pregnant at the expense of your mistress. If you don't get pregnant, oh, no, you don't get pregnant. And it still costs your mistress these women and these costs that they bore. I know I said I was going to stick to the lesson outline, but this felt so much more important to me to explore as we looked at the price of belonging because the price of performing was there. Now, then Hagar is pregnant. And what must it mean? And how must it feel to then get this little boost of, oh my goodness, I can do something of worth and value just for a moment. I understood that. I understood the competitive 
despising feeling that Hagar must have shown at some moment where Sarai must have seen, oh, she thinks she's better than me. For a moment, as an enslaved woman, yes. As an enslaved woman, yes. For this moment, I did something and I am better than you. I'm not saying that it's right, but I'm saying I understand what it feels like to have been pushed down to the depths of society's value of you. And then to finally be able to do something of value and then to feel that kind of rift between you and another person here between women. But how bad must it have gotten for Hagar to be pregnant and to decide to leave her country, her kindred, her family, her history, her support, her safety, her everything for her to say, I have to go. This is too much. I can't do it. She now is the only link that exists. For the promise of Abram to become reality. And she leaves. And what happens? Because she felt, I do not belong here. You don't want me here. I'm going to leave. Who found her in the wilderness and said, you belong and I hear you? God said to a woman things that he has only been documented as saying to men. In you, your seed will be blessed. In you, this seed will have number beyond multitude. It will not be able to be counted. The only woman that I know of to hear that from the mouth of the Lord, only men within our patriarchal systems and the patriarchal functionings of our faith have been told that their seed would be blessed. Producers of the biological seed, carrier of the biological seed was told in you, Nations will be blessed. We serve a God who believes in belonging and who will go find you when you have run away. To tell you that you belong. God said to a woman, your lineage will be blessed because you belong. He will be a wild ass of a man. I was like, that is me. I feel like I am going to be that child. My mama might say, yes, yes, you also are a wild ass of a child. But to think of what that means and to know Ishmael's story, how he was raised and carried and supported and loved and nurtured and and tutored by God in the wilderness, who will have his hand against every man. What is it like to be born into circumstances where you know you have to come out fighting, where you know you're born into something that is built against you? And your very existence says you are coming into this world to be against everything that might try and harm you. And your very name means God hears. I thought of the song as Ishmael's like if, if, if Hagar had like a birth playlist, I imagine that her song when Ishmael was coming through the through the, the, the womb was try Jesus, don't try me. Because I throw hands. Try Jesus, don't try me because I fight. Ishmael, his birth song says, I came out swinging. How many of us are in situations where we have to come out swinging to prove that we belong in a world, in a place, in a faith, in a pew that says maybe we don't? Or that hasn't done the work necessary to say, hey, I will create belonging for and with you. How many of us are born into circumstances that require us to have our hands up and against everyone for our own protection and our own survival when we come from a God who says you belong? 
Hagar said, I belong because you are the God who sees. He met her at a fountain. God, the God of, of everlasting water, the water of life, met her there and said, hey, I need you to go back. And I need you to submit to your mistress because you are part of my plan. You belong in this plan. And I need you to go back. How many of us have left and have met God and God has said, I love you and I understand and I need you to go back. I have had that conversation with God. And I'm so grateful for opportunities like the dialogue that give me a space to come back. I'm thankful for my leadership, the bishops that I've had in my own journey that have always made it a safe place for me to come back. I wish everyone had leadership and had spaces that said, by the structure of our creation, you belong. I know you ran away, but I need you to go back. So Hagar listens to the Lord and says, okay. And if we pay attention, which I know we do, I know we do. We will see how God has created space over and over and over and over again for the seed of his chosen vessels that they would and they could belong. When we mess up and we send people away, when we treat people terribly and they leave, God finds them and says, you belong. Sometimes they come back. Sometimes they stay away. But if they are doing God's work while they are away, we pray for their strength and pray for the ministry that God has put upon them, that they can continue to do the work of belonging where they are. We are not at risk when our loved ones find God outside of where we are. God is expansive. Wherever God is, belonging can be. And if we're able to understand that the performances that we're asked, that we think that we're expected to do, to demonstrate these outward examples of what God looks like on us, How do we internalize that and show that we are people who can maintain, nurture, create, and repair belonging? Ishmael is Abraham's first seed belonged. Outside of those difficult circumstances, however he designs it, he will create the opportunity for belonging. And Abram loved Ishmael. Because Ishmael fulfilled the promise as Abram understood it at that time. And then, because God has the most interesting sense of humor, in my opinion, having experienced that sense of humor as well as I'm sure certain many of us have, right? Then God says, hey, Abram, so right now it's your turn. But we did it already. We have the child. We did the thing because we were trying to make it happen. How many times do we try and help God along? I don't think it was wrong of them to do it. I think Sarai said, this is the best way I know how to make this happen. Please bless this effort while she struggles with it, right? Now, there are some conversations that say, Sarai shouldn't have done that. She should have just waited. How many of us believe so bigly, bigly, I'm going to use that word. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to reclaim it bigly, right? (laughs) Okay. How many of us believe so, so fully, right? In the promise of God that we try and help it along. And we have the best intentions. If God was upset with what Hagar did, he would have let her run away because that wasn't part of his plan. But what did he say? He said, you belong. He said, I hear you. I see you. I need you to come back because you are part of my plan. And this is part of my plan. Now, thinking about a God who says you belong, what would have been the underlying principle or philosophy of now I've given you two sons, both of them from you, Abram. And I have told the mother of one that 
her seed will be blessed. And I've told you, your seed will be blessed. What if your challenge is to create belonging? We know that Hagar is the mother of the Arab peoples and Arab faiths and, and Islam and, and Muslim and, and all of our friends in different, um, um, different faith traditions come from Father Abraham, right? But when we get outside of understanding what belonging looks like, we say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't say Ishmael. We don't say Esau. Those two are from Abraham. And if we are the people who are to bring the world his truth, if the truth is you belong, how are we doing? What are we doing? Are we nurturing it? Or are we staying safe in the privilege that comes with being part of that lineage? These are questions that I think we deserve to ask and explore and expand upon. So coming back to belonging, when Sarai conceived Isaac, Sarai belonged. She also got her moment to belong. How must she have felt? Second guessing, this teenager that's in front of her, did I do the right thing? Because now I have my own, but also cherishing. I did it. It finally worked for me too. Because let's step back for just a second and think about how Sarai has lived this life as this comely woman who has everything going for her except for the one thing that women are valued for at that time. And I would say even today. For her to get her moment where now she too belongs and for her to take that belonging and as sometimes we do, weaponize it against what reminded us that we didn't belong. And so Hagar goes from being my maid to that bondswoman, that distancing, that othering of Hagar to where her journey back and forth is now the journey of so many millions of believers in Islam who take that back and forth journey as part of their Hajj and who honor and who do that work and who remember as part of their worship, they belong. So now at Isaac's birth, we also have belonging. Isaac comes in after Ishmael, Ishmael who belonged. Now Isaac belongs and the brothers create this relationship as brothers will do, ideally of belonging. And when brothers fight as brothers do, mothers, parents create distance. Maybe our charge is to create belonging. Now, I know most of us do that. I have kids. And I'm like, why do y'all fight? All Do you hate each other? Because I didn't grow up fighting my siblings. So I don't understand when kids do that. I'm like, what is going on? Love each other. I don't do the, you know, share a t-shirt and like, like each other thing. But we talk it through, right? Because I believe that the bonds that our kids learn how to form in families um, are important. And then I think about families where these bonds have been tried and strained and broken because we struggle to do the practice of belonging. With Hagar's story, I thought of, I belong here and I'm not going anywhere. I think of so many of our fellow saints and our travelers who have every reason in the world to say, this is no longer the place for me, but have chosen to say, I belong here. 
And there is a place for me in the body of Christ. And there's a place for all of us in the body of Christ, even the stomach aches of the body of Christ. Cause I had, I, that was one that happens, right? Even in the blurred vision of the body of Christ, the stomach aches, the broken bones in the body of Christ, the bruises, the stripes on the body of Christ, all of us serve a purpose. And the idea is that the body of Christ can heal from any of these injuries. And the healing comes from us creating connection and creating belonging. And so the second time that Hagar runs away and is sent away this time, God doesn't tell her to go back. He tells her to go forth. And she will then create as the mother of another nation of people and another nation of a faith. She will create belonging there. And we find ourselves back where we began, where now Hagar is being told, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land and a people and a faith that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, Hagar, and I will bless thee, Hagar, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I hope. I hope when there are times that we hear God telling us, I need you to leave everything behind. I need you to leave what you know. I need you to step out on faith with me to create something that I I will show you when we get there. I'm reminded of the words of Martin Luther King. I've been to the mountaintop and I may not get there with you, but he had to leave so many of his people, his kindred, his faith and reach out and bring others in to fight for the belonging of people in this country. I'm reminded of every freedom fighter. This morning I had on my revolutionary uh, sweatshirt and I was in the line at the pharmacy to get some medication. And one of the pharmacy techs saw my sweatshirt, which actually is in here because I was changing to look more professional. I didn't want to be in a hoodie for church, although I know I belong, right? So I had this sweatshirt on, revolutionary, right? Three major leaders of the Black Panther Party. You have Angela Davis, Fred Hampton, and Huey P. Newton. The pharmacy tech saw my sweatshirt and says, oh, Black Panther. I thought she meant the movie. I knew what my sweatshirt said, but I thought, I was like, oh, yeah, no, not the movie, the movement. She's like, no, the movement. And I was like, oh, yes, pharmacy tech and Target on a Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Yeah, it is the movement. She's like, I'm from California. I remember when they formed. I remember all of the good work that they did. It was amazing. We need so much of it now. And she got teary-eyed. And I'm in the pharmacy line. I'm getting teary-eyed because here we are creating this connection around belonging because of this belief in freedom that has always existed in Black communities because we had to come out fighting. The lesson, the lesson for today The little subheading, right, says, as you read about Abram and Sarai, later called Abraham and Sarah and their family, ponder how their examples inspire you. Record impressions about what you can do to be a greater follower of righteousness. My belief and my hope is that as we discuss what it means to be greater followers of righteousness, we can talk about being greater followers and creators, and maintainers of belonging. I believe it is our covenant obligation to do so. 
And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen. Um, okay. I we're, So I know that um, folks have been wanting to hear the recorded conversations that happen kind of post-lesson, and we now have the, the kind of possibility to do that and to have that part of the recording. And I feel like... Um, Let's officially end and have uh, Tekolve say our closing prayer, and then we're going to continue the conversation. Um, and so, folks know that um, that's going to that's going to happen. Um, so we'll have Tekolve pray, and I'll also just say that in two weeks, um, Sunday, February twenty seventh at eleven thirty a.m. Mountain Time, um, our new time here, we'll continue our study of the Hebrew Bible with Esther Kandari, uh, and, and we're thrilled to announce that she is the newest member of our Dialogue Foundation Board. Um, and, and you'll know why if you caught our Dialogue and Review event a couple weeks ago, why we really wanted her to teach the lesson that includes the story of, of, of Rachel. So uh, Tukolve will pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to talk. <laughs> Our beloved Father in heaven, we assemble at this time to give the thanks for this opportunity we've had to be edified and uplifted. Father, we are so grateful for the spiritual gifts and talents of our sister, Dr. Williams, and her willingness this morning to be vulnerable and to share her experiences and her testimony as a woman of faith, and to do so in a way that has been supported by the scriptures and confirmed by the presence of thy spirit. Father, we pray that I would help us to take the things that we have heard this morning and to give application for them, not only in our personal lives, but in our efforts to be greater disciples of thy son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that I would allow thy spirit to linger as we transition into a discussion that we might continue to find belonging in the body of Christ, that we might find ourselves in the stories of the scriptures, that we might be led to do those things that will help us to honor thee and to find um, belonging in thy presence. Father, we love thee and we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts. Dialogue Podcast Network.